Welcome to Military Network Radio, where we'll bring dynamic interviews and fresh information about topics affecting your quality of life at each stage of your military service. Join us each week for information of value that improves your outlook, actions, and encourages each member of the family, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Everyone serves, and together we make a difference. And now, here's your host, Linda Crater. Good morning, and this is Linda Crater, and I am joined today by co-host Les Davis, who is my adventurer with me on all these wonderful shows. Good morning to you, Les. Good morning, Linda. Thanks uh, again for the invite. Love, uh, Love being with you on these shows. Me too, and I I find that they're quite an adventure, and that's why I use that word, because we come across some of the most amazing organizations that really deserve a shout-out for getting in the trenches, doing the work, and are very quiet and humble and do their work constantly and are really unsung most of the time. So today we are going to be talking about Operation First Response with Executive Director Peggy Baker And with a veteran who has worked with them, Corporal Ronnie Porta, who's now retired. He goes by Tony. And we are just so excited to talk to you all because I've personally worked with you when I have talked with you about um, families that I work with, with veteran caregiver. And there are very few organizations that respond the way yours does, Peggy. And I would just love for you to share What's the backstory of Operation First Response, and how did you get started? Well, thank you so much for having me with you guys. Um, it's a pretty interesting story, actually. Uh, my son went into the military after 9-11, and I think, you know, our family, like all of America, that day changed our lives forever. Um, so I, we were a very close family, having him away from us, you know, going into the military and his being away from home was a real transition for me as his mom. Mm-hmm. And so I, I believed that I needed something to, to positive that I could do. I figured I had two choices. I could either join the, the Army and, <laughs> and pray to be <laughs> in his unit, or I could do something here on the home front. And so I had gotten involved with different um, online groups, moms groups, Army groups, Army mom groups, and uh, got very close to lots of the moms. And one of my friends, uh, her son was injured in January of 2004. And I went in to visit them. And I have to tell you that that was the beginning of the rest of my life. You know, I, I had never done anything more important than my, you know, just raising my family. I was a homeschool mom on a farm in, in uh, central Virginia. And, and that was the center of my life. But all of a sudden, this whole new world was open to me. And the sacrifices, I when I went into Walter Reed Army Medical Center, in those early days, the wounded were coming in in enormous amounts and the injuries were so severe and the family members were there. So there was so much, so many dynamics going on, um, in a really tragic, tragic, uh, Mm -hmm. time for each of these families. So that, that's really where it started. I went into Walter Reed on, uh, January of 2004 and walked out a different person and knew that this was something that I could do to support my son and his comrades here at home. I could be here for the families as they were, you know, greeting their loved ones that were injured and at their bedsides. And I could try to help and take some of the burden off. So I began going into Walter Reed two to three times a week. Mm 
And I would get lists of different things that the families might need and just be there as a, as a support system, hugs and listening and that type of thing. And, you know, as, as time went on, I realized, wow, you know, these family members were leaving their homes and come Mm -hmm. to the bedsides of our wounded. And they, that meant everything at home was falling apart, you know, loss of wages, jobs, you know, where people were coming to Walter Reed and they were spending a year, two years, three years, you know, it wasn't unthinkable for four years Mm -hmm. of time of recuperation because injury was so difficult, so severe. So I realized that we needed to do something more than just going in and and bringing items in. And I began, you know, searching for ways to, 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 uh, make that happen. So Operation First Response came to life at that point. We were able to get donations. And and our main focus at that point was to help the families not lose everything at home Mm -hmm. while they were with their warriors. And also, even more importantly, to take that burden off of our warriors because they saw what was happening to their families. And they saw that, you know, moms and dads with single soldiers were losing everything they had to be at at the bedside of, of their loved one. And, you know, there's just something wrong with that. We needed to be able to do something. So, Peggy, I love that. And you and I met, actually, through a mutual friend. And this, by the way, for our listeners, was back when it was the old Walter Reed. And, you know, the conditions there were not good. There there was really no preparation or, or inadequate preparation for what was to come. And so it was very rudimentary. And I don't think there was a great deal of thought given to the families at that time. So when you stepped up to help the families, I, mean, I was there too, and I saw right. it. And so you had people sharing rooms at Malone House and the families really were holding it together on their own because the formal programs didn't exist at that point. So you were one of the earlier programs that worked with them. So Les, you had a question. I did. And um, Peggy, when you came into Walter Reed, that that initial, what were your thoughts when you, when you first came in and, and did you, did you believe there was more support for the vets? You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of us are naive like that. Well, you know, was your initial thought? I think that uh, you know, your first initial thought was, "Oh my gosh!" You know, it, it, there was just so much mm-hmm. going on in 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 so many different directions and so many different dynamics. But I think that I'm not certain that with the amount of wounded that were coming in in the beginning, that that anybody could totally be prepared for what was about to happen. And I think it was a journey for all of us, you know, the organizations that came into being during that period of time, the families, it was all such a journey and no one really knew what to do. So in, in that defense, it was a learning process um, to try to see, you know, wh- where are the needs going to be and how are they going to change? And they changed pretty quickly as time went on. You know, as soon as people started realizing that, well, there's a, there's a huge need going on here. We need to step in as the recipients of these sacrifices that are being made for us. You know, so we needed to step in. And, and as time went on, it was trial and error, trying to figure out what the issues were, trying to come up with an answer for them. It was such a a huge journey and, and, and every day things were changing. So, I mean, I've, I'm sure I was overwhelmed at what I was seeing, but I was also blown away by the, the loyalty, devotion, love of these family members that, 
you know, were sleeping in chairs and uh, it, next to their loved one. I mean, never leaving their sides. It, it was such a gamut of emotion. It, it would be hard to put it into words, I think, Les. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I'm sorry, Les, go ahead. Yeah, it, it consider that thing when you, and you came in there. I know when I started working with vets 10 years ago, it, it changed who I was and how I looked at things. It, I, I, I think that even though I'm a veteran myself, it it changed it changed me as a person. Would you Absolutely. feel that that you and the other family members had the same type of uh, a life changing experience? Absolutely, life changing uh, is just puts it mildly. My life has changed forever from from the moment I walked into Walter Reed until the day I'm not breathing anymore. My life has been changed by you know it, it's this it's there's tragedy but there's it they're laced with miracles mm -hmm. it, it was it was oh, yeah. amazing that what you would see and you know i might go in one week and and see um a service member that was in intensive care and a week later they were over at the malone house i mean it, <laughs> it, it was amazing how these kids were just and they were kids they these were kids were, they were our yep. kids you know that's all i could think of is these are our children these are america's children and we as moms and dads and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents we all have to come together to make sure that that we're able to provide the answers to the needs that are coming up and they and again they change every family is so different the injuries were so significant i mean we were keeping these young people alive under you know, the the medical end of this was, mm -hmm. was just amazing, you know, and, and we were able to keep them alive. But now we have to be able to give them a quality of life that they deserve. We need to be there for them. And that's what I saw for, for the first five years of, of Operation First Response was, you know, we need to come together to find the answers. It's It's not fair to the family members to lose everything simply because they're there at the bedside of their loved ones. And they were there as non-medical attendants. So they were actually right. pr providing a job, a service mm -hmm. for the hospital as well, because they were able to be with, you know, th their loved one 24 seven and, and that non-medical attendant. So that was very, very important. You know, Peggy, yeah. I've got to mention it because what I recall is yes, many, many were young, but there was this surge of patriotism after 9-11, and there were many who went and enlisted or re-enlisted as much And so some had established families, especially those in the Guard and the Reserve that were being called up. And so some people were well-established with jobs and even companies of their own, et cetera, at home. And then some were young, as you say. So it ran the gamut, and I'm, I'm really not certain that people are aware that the age spread, the injury spread, some had families. The ones that kept me awake at night were those who I call the singletons, the right. ones who didn't have the families who could who could be there for them or didn't have family. And so you were there to help all of them in any way that you possibly could. We are coming up on a break, but can you tell us who do you serve? We serve wounded, injured, and critically ill active duty service members, and we serve disabled veterans with a 10% or higher uh, established VA disability rating or okay. pending case. Some are in the pending case. Right, because I think status. it's important that everybody knows before they contact an organization, who do you help and how can I 
am I even eligible to find help at this organization? So we are talking today with Operation First Response, Peggy Baker and Tony Porta. And this is one organization we'd like to shine a light on because they truly have stepped in from the very beginning, long before America realized there was a problem. And now the awareness is much higher, and we're going to raise it even higher today with this program. We'll be on a short break. We'll come back after these messages, and we'll talk further with Peggy and Tony. Don't go away. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you think engaging in small talk with prospective clients before business negotiations is a good idea? A new study from Nova Consulting Group suggests that it all depends on whether you are male or female. The study found that a little chatter by female professionals before a meeting will generally produce a positive image, but not always positive results. However, male professionals who begin negotiations with a little small talk usually glean favorable returns. This is because there is a preconception that women are already expected to be more communicative than men. And when a man makes small talk, he is perceived as friendlier and likable. But beware that bad or gossip will only get you into trouble. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're continuing our discussion about Operation First Response. I want to be very clear for our listeners, who and what populations does Operation First Response serve? That's a great question, because many of the organizations that came into being after 9-11 serve uh, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, veterans. However, and, and I guess when we first came into it, that's who I was seeing. I was going into Walter Reed, obviously, so that's that was the community that I was serving in the beginning. However, what ended up happening was um, a few years ago, about four years ago, a World War II veteran, uh, his power was out, and so they contacted us to see if we could help, and he was a disabled veteran, and, and we, I realized, oh my gosh, how can we not help this veteran simply because he didn't serve in the right conflict? That makes no sense to me. And so I ran to our bylaws and I looked and I said, oh, my gosh, we didn't we didn't specify anything. So I don't have to change anything. And we were able to go forward. So we serve all conflicts. Mm-hmm. The, our, our issue, the, the specific requirement for Operation First Response is that there's a medical issue. So. They have to be, if they're out of the military, they need to be, you know, have either a 10% or higher disability, established disability rating or a pending case, which we know many of our veterans are stuck in the middle of Mm. for years, you know, Mm. and, um, and we serve again, wounded, injured and critically ill active duty. So this is nationwide. This is all branches because when I was going into Walter Reed, there was no way to distinguish, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I happen to be from Virginia, so I'm going to only help Virginia right. veterans or something like that. I mean, that it just wasn't a, 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 
anything I could possibly choose. You know, I was these kids were coming from all across America. You know, so you know, so, Tony, that or Peggy, that is such a just a breath of fresh air because if there's one um, one thing that's criticized, like you're saying, from the the uh, groups that have popped up after 9/11, is that they only service, and we forget and that there are so many other veterans out there being Cold War, Vietnam, Korea, First Gulf War, you know, even... Ab- absolutely. In, in, you know, it, it, so it, it, that's a breath of fresh air. I, I feel like that's one of the things, probably the, the most, one of the most significant things that makes us different than many of the other organizations is because we will serve all of our veterans. And I mean, if you think about it, our, our older veterans, they're on fixed income. So whenever you live on a fixed income, all it takes is a car repair, unexpected car repair or appliance to break down to send your whole financial situation in, into a disaster. So so as much as our newly injured and our, our new veterans that are coming into the systems and, and in those pending cases need our help, any of any of our veterans, if they if they have an issue within their life that we have a way of, you know, taking Mitigating. some of that stuff off, we right. need to do that. It's simply because that's what they deserve. Yeah. So, can, uh, Tony, I got I do have a question for you. Um, how did how did how did you bring how did you come about to get involved with the organization? Now, what was your outreach to them? Well, yes. Um, when I joined in 2005, uh, I was injured in 2007, and uh, I'm from Maryland. But when I was injured, I was medevac straight to San Antonio, Texas. So my entire family had to move there, my dad, mother, and my sister, because at, at that time, they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. So uh, they were with me for several months because I was in the hospital for several months. I lost my right arm, burns all over my body. My legs were completely burned, left arm. I think we're having some Skype issues. Did we lose Tony? We did not lose him, but I I believe. There you go. Okay, sorry, Tony. You blipped out for a little minute. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. At one time, I was having uh, surgeries. Uh, Sometimes I was having two, two surgeries in a week. Ugh. So in 2008, uh, when I got better and everything, I, I got out from the hospital and I moved to an apartment. But my dad was staying with me because I couldn't even walk. He had to carry me from, uh, from my bed to, to my wheelchair, to the car. So my dad was about to lose everything with my mother, the house, everything. So that's why, uh, that's how I, I got in touch with uh, OFR, Peggy. And then she became my second mom. <laughs> Every single time I need help uh, I, or I just need someone to talk to, she's always there for me. 24/7. So how did you find out know. about it? But how did you know to, well, to call uh, Operation First Response? Yes, um... Well, I was in the hospital. I was, I was really, I was really sad one day because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. Uh, my pay was a lance corporal pay. It wasn't enough to maintain you know, myself, my mother, uh, my dad, my sister. So one of my friends uh, told me about OFR, and I thought, oh, let's give it a try to see, may, 
you know, I'm, I'm not gonna lose anything. So uh, that's how I, I got in touch with uh, Peggy, and, and from that day, she became my second mom. She became my a good friend, and she was able to help me on on a lot of things. You know, it's really hard, especially when you have to go so far away, mm-hmm. so far away, uh, Maryland. I'm from Maryland. My entire family is from Maryland, and I had to go to Texas because that at that time that was the best place for me. So, and I believe it or not, I had 138 surgeries in San Antonio. Did your family live at Fisher House? I mean, is that how that worked? No, no. Uh, After I got out from the uh, from the hospital, I was always in and out, in and out. Ah, okay. uh, we tried to go to the Fisher House, but at the, uh, in 2007, 2008, there were so many. Uh, there were mm-hmm. so many guys that were getting injured. That the Fisher House was wasn't. We didn't have. We were we were in the waiting list. Well, so and we, they had a new center being built, but you know, it, everything was supply and demand at that point. It was a very tough time. So exactly. when you contacted Peggy, did you know? Uh, the kind of, you had obviously gotten word of mouth is how the yes, exactly. organization became known to you. And Peggy, I'm going to go switch back over to you for the moment. What would you say are the top three services that are associated with operation that you specialize in? I know it's broad, but can you bring it to the top three or top five? Well, I mean, I, I would say our our actually the most important thing that we do is that we care that we that we answer the phone that we you know if a need is brought to us it becomes the main focus and and if we can't provide the answer to it we are going to find someone that can and so we don't give up and they know that we don't give up and they know i mean i'll tell you in the beginning years i didn't get a lot of sleep at night because the, some of those demons come out at night for these young men and women and that's when they need us and they need to be able to call you i got so many phone calls in the first years of OFR in the middle of the night um It was odd not to actually have a night where I didn't. And I would sit up and talk to these young men and women and just listen to them and let them cry or just whatever they needed to do. But I think that that, and that is the way my whole team is. Mm -hmm. They they all feel this way. They they come to the table with such caring and and heart for these young men and women and such respect and, and thank gratitude, you know. So I think that the, the emotional end of it that we, you know, sometimes it's a quick fix, but sometimes it's not. And sometimes they're going to need us for a long, long time. And you know what? As long as they need us, we're going to be there. That's mm-hmm. that's all, you know. So it's truly, I think that that's one of the most important things that we do. They know that they come into a family, mm-hmm. that they're accepted we we're here for them. Then the next thing, obviously, is the financial end of it. When you take proud warriors and 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 all of a sudden, I mean, they've gone, they've they've fought the battle, they come home, they're injured, they're now they lose the when they leave the military, they lose the, sometimes a lot of that camaraderie that which is very important to them, and and now on top of it, they may not be able to take care of their family's basic needs. That is crushing to these young men and women, mm-hmm. especially to the young men, you know. And so when when you take that away from them, it, it, that's it, sometimes that's the spiral that terrifies me that ends up, you know, having suicide on the other end of it. And which we've 
dealt with many, many times, and it's the most mm-hmm. heartbreaking thing ever. Mm-hmm. But you can't take away their ability to take care of their families because they're going through a process, a broken system that's so messed up, you know? Amen. So I think Boy, that those are really the two most important things that we do is the emotional so the fi- end of it and the, and emotional the financial. And, and financial. So the personal yes. and financial needs, which those two alone make a big difference in mental health. Les, I know you had a comment. Yeah. Can you talk about um, your backpacks? Yeah. You, our, you know, the backpacks that it, initially when, again, when, when somebody wounded were coming back, this, the backpack program was really um, uh, an important program it has a we we set a uh, set of clothing a bag of hygiene a, a usually beautiful quilts that ladies across America make for us and they're all patriotic and, and really really wonderful uh, and they go into a backpack and cards from kids and in the beginning we had phone cards in there where they were needed and that kind of thing and those were going to the caches right on the battlefield and and given out because you know our, our wounded would come in, clothes are cut off, and now you know it could take weeks for their for their personal items to get to them. So what we wanted was to be able to get them, you know, the personal items. Also, it was a way to get our information to them to say, hey, you know, if your family back here in the states needs help, you give them our information. If you if you need help once you get back to the states, you you have our information. So it was it it's it was a really important program. In the beginning, then the wounded, you know, that thank God, you know, it, things it slowed down, and um, there wasn't so many coming back. And we're so busy with the financial end of of serving our, our veterans that I thought there's been several times where I thought, well, you know, maybe we should eliminate the backpack program. We've sent out over ten thousand have been sent out, packed in my basement of my home, um, <laughs> and sent out. And it's hard, you know, it's a lot of work on top of our, our every day. We have 30 to 40 cases a day that come in, you know, brand new cases. So we're busy and there's three of us in the office doing day to day. So I've thought about it, but I'll tell you what, every single time that I thought, well, maybe we should just eliminate that program. We've gotten a letter from someone that received it that I just felt like it was God talking to me saying, girl, you need to keep mm-hmm. doing that program. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, so we keep on sending backpacks, but they go directly to the caches and to, um, like, ba- uh, Bagram Air Force Base. Um, they would go over to launch stool, um, when, when the wounded were coming in, you know, in huge numbers. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a great program. Um, Definitely, it's not our main program, but I can tell you that it that it's made a lot of difference. So, well, the difference that I yeah. see, Peggy, in that is that it's proactive. So many programs have to be sought out. No one knows where to go. There are thousands and tens of thousands of organizations. But when you are proactive with your backpacks, I can see why God tells you to keep doing it. Because <laughs> you you may be that voice that gets through. Because once you go into the system, it is a very large impersonal system. So the proactivity that Operation First Response shows is amazing. Unfortunately, we have to take another break. But we will be back after the messages talking further about Operation First Response with Peggy Baker and Tony Porta. We'll be right back. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages.
often ask, is that all there is? Why is this happening to me? Why am I always broke? How am I going to survive this mess? Then join Dr. Geraldine Tegeloff for Nature Spirits Speak, 7 p.m. Tuesday evenings on Toginet.com. Geraldine is a metaphysician, nature intuitive, and prosperity coach who shares with you how she went from totally broke to living what she would call her perfectly prosperous life. Through the combination of a wealth of metaphysical knowledge and her amazing ability as an intuitive, Geraldine brings to you the secrets of her magical journey of healing emotionally, spiritually, and financially. As with the ancient seers and master teachers, Geraldine has a unique gift of being able to connect to the simple yet profound messages brought to us by Mother Nature and happily shares these through today's note to self on her webpage, naturespiritspeak.com. If you need help with your journey, why not connect with Geraldine during her show, Nature Spirit Speak, Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Central on toginet.com. your parents or grandparents complain about walking to school uphill both ways, you can tell them about a village in China where getting to school is a real adventure. In the mountainous Sichuan province, children have to get to school from their tiny village of Atular by rappelling, abseiling, and clambering down a 2,500-foot cliff. Using ropes and bamboo ladders to scale this one-half-mile-high brachtumic, the journey is so difficult that the school children, ages 6 to 15, only return home every two weeks. What's the word for the fear of heights? Hypsophobia. A new set of steel stairs is now being considered to help make the journey to school safer. By the way, a rock hummock is a hill so steep it hurts the stomach of anyone who tries to climb it. It's Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. We're talking with Peggy Baker and Tony Porta. You know, I have to make a comment regarding what you said your most important aspect was, which was caring. Because in my view, you can never pay people to care. They either do or they don't. But the difference it makes in the encouragement and support is huge. And I know that one of the biggest things that you do is help families proactively with financial needs. And I'll be darned if I understand how with three to four people you cover 30 to 40 cases coming in a day. But I know that you do. do. And if there's ever an organization that does with less, I don't know of one. You talk about specific programs, and it's love to hear what Tony has to say about how it helped him. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in, back in 2008, 2009, I was having surgeries, uh, a lot of surgeries. But my dad, and well, my sister, she, she was in school, so she had to go back to San, uh, to, to Maryland. And, uh, and my dad, he had to go back to his job. But uh, on big surgeries... Uh, Back in 2008, 2009, I was the doctors were trying to reconstruct basically my face, mm-hmm. my arms, my legs. So uh, sometimes I, I I couldn't even walk, couldn't even eat, and uh, my mom had to take uh, me showers and uh, carrying me from from the shower to my bed. And when my mom was really tired or I was going to have big surgeries, it was really it, it was really tough just for my mom to do everything for me. Mm-hmm. So my dad had to go to San Antonio 
you know, constant, or sometimes, sometimes a couple times a month. And that's how I used to call Miss Peggy to see if she could help me with flight tickets, you know, mm-hmm. uh, tickets so for my dad to help me out. And another thing was when uh, when I got really sick. I was at uh, one point I was having so many surgeries that I got re- I got a really bad infection close to my heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctor wasn't they they didn't the doctors didn't know if I was going to make it to make it th- that time. So my dad is uh, my dad went to San Antonio once again and stayed with me for, for a couple months. And after a couple months, not getting any kind of income, it was really tough. It was really tough. I was I was seeing my dad and my mom struggling every day. So Miss Peggy helped me uh, pay my dad's mortgages for a couple months, uh, and uh, things like that. Electricity, uh, you know, bills. Uh, bills don't stop. No, they, they, they don't. Do <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you don't pay something, they they will they will go after you, and they, and and that's that's what I was afraid of. You know, I was really struggling. I couldn't. Um, at one point, I got so frustrated with me. I guess I was trying to get better, but uh, there were some days that I just couldn't even walk because I was so frustrated. I was so sad. Just seeing my mom and my dad struggling and, and sometimes crying, you know, it was really tough. But um, just talking to Miss Peggy, you know, she made me, she she told me this long time ago. Don't worry about anything. You just you just have to worry about healing. You have to get better, you know. And 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 she she was my angel. She's my angel. <laughs> Thanks to her, I'm still here. I'm still oh. here. Thanks to her. I uh, and anytime, anytime, if I'm in trouble, you know, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of nightmares. I lost two of my best friends, and I saw uh, I, I I saw them dying basically, and, and and that image is always on my head. Sometimes I uh, I call Peggy just to yeah just just to see what she's doing, and <laughs> just to keep my head entertained on something. You know, and, and she's always there for me, and for anyone, for anyone, she's one of the one of those persons that, if you need her, she will be always there for you, no matter no matter what kind of time. One one time I called her at two o'clock in the morning because <laughs> I was really struggling, and uh, and like she said, she's always there for me, and uh, I can't thank her enough because what she's doing for 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 us is just amazing. I know she's our angel. She's our second mom, and uh, and uh, there are no words to describe this amazing woman. She's 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 our everything. Uh, Peggy, you were, were you said earlier that you took a lot of calls from you know soldiers at night, like uh, like Tony was saying, having nightmares, being depressed, visualizing uh, friends dying. Which is something that you can never, you never get that picture uh, out of your head. I'm certain. He was talking about his parents. Do you get those? Do you get the calls from the parents that are stressed out? Absolutely. You get the calls you know, at her at her end, and how do you handle that? 
You know, I just listen. Uh, I think that they just feel comfortable being able to vent, and um, I, I listen. But at the same time, my brain's going, okay, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to take some pressure off? And, you know, sometimes it's, it's a long period of time before we can get it completely there. But it's just one step at a time, holding their hands and giving them hugs and just letting them know that it's okay to to feel the frustration or feel the fear or the confusion. It is just so many emotions wrapped up. It's hard to describe, but yes, I've, there are so many moms, so many dads, so many spouses, sisters, you know, brothers, aunts and uncles and grandparents, you know, that Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't just stop with, with our guys and gals, it's their families. You know, I think it's so important that it, that it's looked at as the entire family serves. When my son put on the uniform, his entire family began to serve. And it's mm-hmm. the same way with all the others, you know, because you, it's just a family thing. It affects every single thing. How many of these young men and, and women are, you know, are not there when their children say their first words and they make the, take their first steps. And I mean, there's so much to put in that uniform on. I, I mean, it's mind boggling how people, you know, go about their daily business without realizing what's being done and sacrificed for us every day. I, I live every day. So grateful that I can be part of their lives. I mean, can, being part of Tony's life is, I can't even explain it without feeling like I'm going to cry. I, I just, they become part of my family. And so we are all a family. And what family does, we stick together. We get through the rough times. We get through the good times. We have lots of great times. We've seen miracles, you know. But that's what being in a part of a family is all about. We are not your regular nonprofit, um, you know. That most of the nonprofits have big fancy offices. I don't. I've been working in the basement of my home, and you know what? It works perfect because number one, it's not a nine to five job, so I need to be available to do whatever I have to do. So I don't. I don't want to have to drive five miles to an office. I don't have an overhead at all because, as far as you know, uh, rent and and utilities and all that kind of stuff. Because it's 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 here in my in my home, you know. So I don't have a fancy office. But I don't need a fancy office to do what we do. But see, Peggy, you're not a bureaucracy. The money that comes into your organization goes directly out. You and I have talked about this for years. There are a lot of things that are showy and do good work, but there's a great deal that is spent on things that don't actually uh, help in the trenches or help those whose mission you've made it to serve. I, I think that I always worry that you need to take care of yourself because there's only one Peggy Baker. Um, But I I do know that you have done that over the years. But I think there's something about families dealing with a group that is not a bureaucracy that makes a big difference. Because let's face it, the medical organizations, civilian or military, is nothing but a bureaucracy these days. And information is not always forthcoming. But I left when you said, if you don't have the answers, you will find an organization to help them that does. Can you talk a little bit about the collaborative nature and how you just get it out of the way and do the mission? Well, you know, I mean, many of the organizations have such requirements um, that, that hardly anyone fits under their scope to be able to be assisted. But we have, you know, gone out there and we, we have 
like I kind of think of it as a puzzle and we each come to the table with a piece of, to the puzzle. So what we may do and, and be able to help, but there's something else that say doesn't fall under our scope. I want to know the guy, the organization that's out there that can do that so that I can say, Hey, you know, so-and-so, okay, this is what we have and we can take care of this part. Can you help us with that? Because as we partner together with all of our different scopes and all of our, you know, different uh, programs, we can meet a much larger need than if we're just out there singly trying to do it. So I think it's really important that the organizations that are truly there helping keep that that group scenario so that we can lean on each other. And, and it may be that, you know, this is a time, of, a particular time of year that, that our funding is so low, we can't help it at all. So then we have to work even doubly harder to try to, because when a family calls us, we will stay in it as long as they want and need us. If the, if so, we're not going to leave them. We're not going to say, Hey, I'm sorry. We don't have any money. So we're just going to be, you know, sorry, you know, about what's happening to you, but have a nice day. No, <laughs> we're going to go, <laughs> okay, we don't, we can't help with this right now, but we're going to find somebody that can, you know, and that, but we have partnered with many wonderful organizations that are mostly the grassroots, the smaller mm-hmm. organizations, right? They come together. They're really out there doing stuff, you know? Les, any comment yeah, before we go to break? Yeah, sure. I, I've noticed that uh, the grassroots, you, these organizations like yours and others that, that we've talked to are really, since 9-11, have just the, you, you've powered through some difficult times. Uh, my, my experience with the bigger VSOs is they become this big bureaucracy where you're trying to get something done in the past. It, it is, it's like beating your head against the wall. Exactly. So I am very grateful that you're out there. I'm very grateful that you're having success, and I'm really, truly appreciative of uh, collaborating with other organizations when you you either don't have it or you need that extra effort. Huge deal. Thank you. Thank you for men like you that are out there that serve our country. I mean, oh my gosh, people just do not realize what those words mean to I serve do. our country. And I I think you do, I do. And I think one of the things that we are spotlighting on this program is that there are some amazing organizations and we want you to know about them. So we're going on our last break. And when we come back, let's talk about where Operation First Response intends to go in the future and how you will evolve to the evolving needs of those families who have support needs that you can meet. We'll be on a break. Short messages, don't go away. We'll be right back talking to Peggy Baker and Tony Porta. We're Military Network Radio, and we'll be right back after these short messages. well-known in medical practices that patients tend to lie about their health habits. They lie about how much they smoke, understate how much they drink or eat, and overstate how much they exercise. What's another word for those little white lies we like to tell in the examination room? Teradiddles. 
doctors have a rule of thumb. Whatever the patient says they're drinking, smoking, or eating, multiply it by two. But it's hard to come clean about your habits when you know you're in for some jobation from the doctor. That's criticism we don't want to hear. If physicians want us to be honest with them, I suggest they try being a little less judgmental and use a little suaviloquence. That's soothing, encouraging talk. It's marching Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Hey there, it's Christine Gallagher from She's Got Clients.com. I'm really excited to share with you the first annual Get Clients Online giveaway. I have gathered a spectacular group of contributors who are providing you with amazing gifts that will help you get cash flow in clients in less time online. So I've teamed up with more than 50 other business industry leaders to bring you templates, checklists, and other valuable goodies to grow and scale a sustainable business that brings you more income with less effort. So all you need to do is head over to getclientsonlinegiveaway.com, put your name and email address in, and you'll get instant access to more than 50 free business building tools, templates, products, and services, including Facebook funnel templates, LinkedIn cheat sheets, sales scripts, and so much more. That's getclientsonlinegiveaway.com. Head over there and enjoy your free gifts. Welcome back to Military Network Radio, serving the military, their families, and those who care about them. Together, we make a difference. Welcome back. And, and Tony, I have the first question for you because you all were clearly, your family was clearly supported by Operation First Response and Peggy, and there's a warm relationship between you. Have you passed on Operation First Response to other families the way it was passed on to you? Yes, absolutely. I talk uh, to all my friends about OFR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, there is not only a couple hundreds, there are thousands and thousands of veterans and uh, active service members that are, are really struggling. Yeah, I, I I was injured. I was really injured. Uh, I lost right arm and burns, but I I also learned that there are a lot of guys out there that are really struggling that ha- have no injuries outside, but their injuries In, are inside. Invisible, right? Yes, exactly. A lot of guys have seen their best friend die or missing limbs, picking up bodies of of picking up parts of bodies from their closest friends and and they and it's not easy to heal for me i'm i i i'm still struggling i'm still strong after so many years and i didn't see on uh, a lot of a lot of things that other other veterans have seen so those guys are really struggling and that's why i like to talk to them that's why i i help away far as much as I can because there are a lot of guys out there that are still struggling um, and, and they need they need our help that's uh, and that's the most important thing that we can do like Peggy said be uh, be always always be there for them mm-hmm. I, I try to help them as much as I can I, I'll do whatever 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 I can do to help them out and even uh, talking to them but most of the times, there are really a lot of guys that are really struggling and, and, and they live in fear. They have nightmares and they cannot 
sometimes even work or concentrate and they they are afraid you know they lose it they, they keep losing everything and that's that's really sad I've seen so many veterans losing everything but after talking to to Peggy you know they she always have the right words always always and that's she funny. will they always be there for them no you're, you're exactly right when you say that some things are you just don't forget and and our vets struggle uh with hidden um the hidden wounds i remember i was sitting down with a student time and he was telling me that he and his friend from they grew up together from kindergarten on up they joined the marine corps together and uh they were out on patrol and they he was he was his they hit they were mortared and uh he had to, you know, when you go out, you're out for what, three to five days. And he had to, after the mortar attack, his friend was um, mortally wounded and he had to go the next three days with the blood of his friend and brain matter on his uniform. You know, I guess, you know, of course you got to. Uh. And those are the things that Peggy talked about earlier about what these guys go through that a lot of us don't even realize. I mean, just imagine you grew up with this your best friend. I mean, he knew from kindergarten on up, you, you have all these life experiences together, you join the Marine Corps together, and then this happens. And so these, this is something that you never forget. You'll never forget, but yet you need to talk about it. And when Peggy's group answers the phone, that's exactly the services. That's exactly what they need. And, you know, it right when, Tony, right when you were saying that, that conversation just kicked up in my head that I had with that young, you know, that young Marine. Um, and I, you know, being a vet, I had, I, I, all I could do was listen. I had no words of advice, just encouragement. You know, we're going to get through this. I just to hang on, um, you know, just five more minutes, you know, just half hour more, make it through the day. But uh, that's what was needed. Amazing. That's what was needed. Was. So, you know, Peggy, I, I have to, we're running out of time, of course. So I have to know, where are you thinking that Operation First Response will go in the future? Will you respond to the needs that come? Yes, of course you will. But are there other things that you have in mind that you would love to do as the opportunity arises? You know, th- this has been such a journey. Uh, we, we, the, what The journey that our service members have as they leave the military and then transition into our communities as civilians, it, it, it's a journey for them. And so the way I kind of feel about it is that I'm on this journey with them. I'm not really sure what's going to happen tomorrow, Linda. I don't know if a new need will come up, if uh, if something's going to happen where, you know, that's going to change things and we're going to realize, oh, my gosh, here's something else we need to do. But it's such a journey. And every day I, I just we just go with it. And whatever happens to them is going to happen to us. And if we are able to take some of the burden off, ease it a little bit, whatever it is, or we need to pull in, make a new program because this new issue is, has arisen, then that's what we're going to do. I'm not really sure. I can't really tell you what we're going to do in the future. I can tell you that we're going to be here mm-hmm. and, and we're going to go with them and we're, whatever journey they're on, we're going to be holding their hands through it all. It's the only, because mm-hmm. I don't know what the future is going to bring for them. But until the day comes that they don't need me anymore, then I'll happily, if they didn't need me anymore, I would happily put the close sign up and say, mission accomplished, they're <laughs> all good. But until that day happens, with every breath, we're just going forward. 
Peggy, where do people find out more information about uh, you can, your you can go to our You can go to our website. Uh, it's operationfirstresponse.org. There's a lot of good information on there. Then you can contact us as well there. Um, we also have uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. But our website holds a lot of information. And uh, you can also donate. Unfortunately, we can't do what we do for them financially without our donors so um, we, we really encourage anyone that uh, is feeling in the giving mood, we, we really do need donations um, so that we are able to take care of these needs, put out these fires, and then find a plan. Because when they come to us, it's these are proud warriors, so they don't come to us t- a month ahead of time. They come to us like, um, tomorrow the mm-hmm. power is going to be shut off. You know, mm-hmm. So that's why we don't have time to have red tape. Because we are in emergency mode, and we're kind of like the triage. We got to put out the fire, and so until those fires are put out, the until they're no longer worrying about the power being shut off or getting it back on, or the eviction notice, they can't think straight. We can't get a plan about what we're going to do to go forward. So that you know, at the end, what I want is them to be protective members of their communities because they offer so much. These are the kind of men and women we need in our communities, in the forefront of our communities. You know, so so that's what I want ultimately is that they go on and live wonderful, blessed lives, you know. So we have to put out the fire and then work on the issues and get a plan and go forward. The most interesting part to me has been that there are very few organizations that will help with the emergency critical financial needs. And you do that. And that's why it is so critically important that the funds are there. I have seen you you in action in terms of where did where would it come from? who knows god delivers and it and it came and so the encouragement comes because you know that you're not going to fail and that you will consistently be there for everyone make sure we give you enough time to say anything else that we may have missed in asking about operation first response and and so this is very general broad question comes up why do military and veteran families need to know about ofr well, they need to know that they're that someone cares. They need to know that we're here for those emergency times. For I mean, maybe Tony could answer that question better. I'm not. I just know that that they need to know that we're here. We want them to know that that we consider them the best of us, mm-hmm. and that and that we we want to be there for them. And you know, when they come to us. We're going to try to everything in our power to say, yes, we can find a way to make this happen, not to put them through, you know, red tapes that just creates more issues for them. But, um, Tony, why do you think? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> to, uh, to all the veterans, uh, you're not alone. You yes. are not alone. And OFR has all, will always have your back. If you need someone to talk to anytime, Use call, call OFR and they will guide you to the right people if you need help right away. They can call me. Uh, can, we have a lot of veterans that, uh, that help OFR that uh, we want to do our part. Because when I was uh, down, somebody was there for me. And I, I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to help you. So any veteran, any anyone serving in the military forces, it, anyone please 
always remember that we have your back. We're just one call away. And, uh, and, and to everyone, we can only help, we, we can help a lot of veterans. We can help a lot of veterans. With your help, it will be a lot easier. I just thank you, Linda. Thank you so much, everyone. And um, I just can't say thank you. Thank uh, uh, Peggy. I, I love you. I love you to death. And uh, I love you too, honey. <laughs> I Aww. really have no more words to 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 show my appreciation for you. Thank you so much. Honey, I feel the same exact way. And this young man gave me one of the greatest honors in my life when it, when uh, his first son was born, um, his first child was born. He asked me to be his, his son's godmother. Aww. Yes, because she, <laughs> she was, uh, like I said, she was, she was my second mom. <laughs> and, uh, There's no greater honor, I can't tell you. Thank you, Les. You know, as, as veterans, we always were, we, we, uh, we always looked for donations to give and we're very, very guarded where we send our money, especially in recent years where we find out organizations, um, where only about 18% of the, the funding goes to, uh, right. veterans. Well, with your organization, we know that it, it over 95% goes to the wounded care and the wounded and your outreach, which is huge. It's very, very good that when you look at Charity Navigator, they rate you as a four-star organization. So we know our money is going on to the right place, and it's going to, and it's going out to the uh, the veterans. And one of the things that I love about your website, you can also go on there and buy gear. You can you got your own gear that they could go in and and uh, help promote. After they buy a T-shirt, they can get a wallet, they can get a uh, a donate, and then also uh, if they want to do events, your Walk to the Wounded event is incredible so thank you for your uh all your efforts you do it's truly an honor wonderfully said thank you so much for sharing operation first response with us you can find them at operationfirstresponse.org a spotlighted organization deserves your attention please go take a look at it thank you for listening today we'll be back next week with another show Thank you for tuning in today to Military Network Radio. You can find our show at our website, www.toginet.com forward slash Military Network Radio. Also, www.militarynetworkradio.com. And in iTunes under Military Network Radio. Join us next week when we bring you another program to enhance 